have your material, you can go ahead and open that up. I, did everybody pick up your material, receive your material? Does everybody have that? Excuse me, just excuse me, just a second. Hello. Yes. Yeah, I know they they probably wouldn't understand that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, does that seem strange to y'all that my phone rang? Does it seem strange to you that, that whenever I'm, I'm talking to you that my phone rang and it has no cord to it? Did y'all know that? If you were living in the 1960s, you could not imagine that I could answer a phone without there being a cord hooked to it. Could you? Matter of fact, if you're as old as I am, you remember party lines? I hear those laughs. How could it be possible for this not to be hooked to a cord, but for me to be able to hear that? If you were to go back 50 years ago, people would think that is absolutely impossible that that would happen. Why? Because there's no cord hooked to it. But we know, and you didn't really think anything about it other than the fact that, boy, the pastor sure is rude carrying his phone up there. Oh, my doctor, yeah, well... (laughs) That would be a miracle if it were the doctor. That, that, that would truly be a miracle. But, but you think other than the pastor being rude, you wouldn't think anything about that because we hear phones go off all the time and people talk and they walk and they ride and they do everywhere else and it doesn't have anything hooked to it. How is that possible? How is that possible? The reason it's possible is because all in this room, all in this room, there are waves. You can't see them. But they're here. They're, they're waves, and, and those waves uh, work on, on a phone, and, and they, they, are, they are designed to, to call that phone and to be answered on that phone. If you had a radio down here, you could tune it in to a certain favorite station you had, and you could listen to it. You know why? Because that, that radio wave is in here. Now, all of those waves are in here, but we do not see them. Why? Because they are invisible. They are invisible. Now, if we didn't live in the time we lived in, and somebody were trying to convince us that there were waves in here, they would think we were nuts, or we'd think they were nuts, right? But because we'd say, that's no, that's no way possible, because I can't see it. I can't see it. It can't be real. But, but we've come to understand that there are real things that are unseen. There are real things that are invisible to our physical eyes. We know that and we grasp that. Well, whenever we're talking about faith, we talked about defining faith. Last week was the part one of defining faith. And who can remember what that first part is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Remember that? The substance of things hoped for. It's the title deed of ownership of everything that has been hoped for, and that's absolute assurance, are the promises of God. So the promises of God are, are given to us, and we have the promises of God, and, and we, we have the title deed of ownership. When God promises, it's ours. Well, our second part of that definition 
Faith is the evidence, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things, what? Not seen. Of things not seen. The evidence or conviction of things not seen. So we'll be focusing on that tonight. Faith defined, what does it mean, the evidence or conviction of things not seen? Before I share that with you, though, I told you that every week I'll share with you a word of testimony about how I grew in, in my faith journey. And if you have your Bibles there, if you, just look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, I want you to see a passage of Scripture that's very special to me. 1 Corinthians, I've got to get to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine. When I was, I was young in my faith and journeying my faith, I told you the Lord just grows me up to to know and to trust Him in things and to believe His promises. And early in our 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 ministry and and, and our married life, we we got married when I was in seminary. Uh, our honeymoon was was getting married in Mobile and driving out to Texas so I could go back to class. That was, that was our honeymoon. So uh, that, that's, that's where we were in seminary. And I don't know if you're in seminary, you don't have a whole lot of money, you know. And uh, I don't know if you all realize that, but there wasn't a whole lot of money around seminary. We worked at nighttime, went to school in the daytime. You're supposed to get to crying. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't know how to, y'all, y'all need to be cued in a little bit how, how to fall in to the story. But God was growing us up in regard to, to his possessions and, and what he would do to take care of us, how he would minister to us. And you have to understand, I went to college to, to be a doctor. I was going to be a doctor, not because I wanted to care about people, but doctors made good money. I mean, I, that's totally my motivation. It was I, I, You make good money, so I, it was there. And then in the midst of that, God called me to preach. And so I wasn't going to be making the doctor money and, and everything, but the Lord was teaching me and and wanting to work through me. And so one of the truths that he, he gave me was this. In chapter 9, of verse 8, Second Corinthians says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You hear what it says? That, that God is able to make all grace abound to you, that we'd always have all sufficiency in everything, that we'd have an abundance in every good deed. That, that meant that, God was going to so bless us in our lives would provide for us a means whereby we would be able to participate in good things, even though we, we didn't know how we'd ever have those means. Well, whenever we went to seminary, I'll tell you how that worked. We went to seminary. We were married in November, November 24th of 1979, and found out that Lynn was pregnant in February. So our first anniversary present was Kelly Amos, born November the 13th, and our first anniversary was November the 24th, all right? So that's where we were. Now, we lived in that era. Many of you young people don't know the era we lived in. We lived in the area where you had, you had hospitalization coverage, but that didn't cover maternity. You had to pay extra for maternity. You had to pay your own way through maternity. Now, it's a whole lot cheaper than it, than it is now, but... You had to pay outside of your policy in maternity. Well, I worked at nighttime, and, and Lynn stayed home at that time, and, and so I was saving up my money. I had to have $400 to, 
for, for us to have Kelly. I had, had that for So I had saved money, and I had in my savings account $400. I had enough, just enough. Well, this was about six weeks before Kelly was born, and we were sitting in church one night in our church, and our pastor told us about a family in the church that had a need. They were seminary students and had gone through a catastrophe and that they needed money and was asking people to give money. And I'm telling you, I was sitting in that service, and the Lord said to me, He said, give them that $400. Now, when God said give them that $400, there was a fight going on in that pew. If you, I was like, Lord, I can't give them that $400. I got, that's $400 to have the baby. You got to give that for, and, and, and the Lord said, well, I said, I'll give them $200. The Lord said, I'm going to give them $400. You just do whatever you're going to do. You know, so, I, so I told Lena, I looked over to her, and I have a Swedish wife, and very, uh, never questions anything much about what the Lord wants to do. I, I told her, I said, the Lord wants us to give that $400 to those people. She said, okay. I said, no, okay, you know, just like that. So I walked up there with a check, and I gave that $400, not having any idea how in the world we're going to, in six weeks, we're going to pay for this baby. But I just did what God told me to do. Remember, because he had told me that he would always be sufficient for all things. Well, that was in 1980. Most of you, some of you weren't born in 1980 probably, but in 1980, it was where they had wage and price freezes. That was the big thing, wage and price freezes. I had gone to work at a freight company, and we started at like $5.50 an hour. Every three months we got a raise, where I eventually made about $11 or $12 an hour. That's pretty good money back in that day, okay? But I had, when I came on, they put a, a wage freeze. So I had worked there like seven months and had not gotten any raises. I was still at the lowest level they could be. Well, on that Sunday, after that Sunday night, I went to work that Monday night, and at our break time, they brought us all together, and they said, we're taking off the wage freeze. Everybody's going to get their raise. Oh, man. I was so excited. I went to the phone. I told Lynn, I said, I calculated in my mind how many hours I was going to work, how much more money that's going to be for me. I said, the Lord's already given us that money back. We're, we're going to get all that money back. By that six weeks, we'll have that made. Man, I, we're, I was so excited. See, all them people didn't know that the reason they got their wages unfrozen is because I gave that $400 that night before. What are y'all laughing about? It's the truth. They just, they just riding off my waves of what they were doing. But I, I had done, gave me that money. But I was so excited about that. Well, then about two or three weeks later, we went, I went to the mailbox, opened up the mailbox, and in there there were two letters to me from two different states. All right? And I opened up one letter, and that had a check to me for $200. And I opened up the, the other letter, and it had a check for me for $200. Now, if you're not good at math, $200 plus $200 equals $400. You're better than I thought. $400, exactly what I had given. One of them was from a guy I had discipled who was, uh, he was a student in college, and he told me, he wrote this letter. I promise you what he said. He said, he said, I'm sending this to you because God told me to send you $100 last month, and I didn't. So he told me 200 this month. I'm sending it so he don't tell me 400 next month. That's exactly what that letter said, okay? I mean, God had impressed upon this guy he needed to do something because God was teaching me something. Now, let me, let's go on a little bit. We go down there in six, about six weeks. It's time for Kelly to be born. We go to the hospital, and Kelly is breech, all right? 
Because he's breached, now hold on a second, because he's breached, she has to have a cesarean, and that's major medical, and I didn't even have to have the $400 anyway. All of that was covered by the hospital. So that $400 that I had and that extra raise I got, all of that stuff was just gravy because God already had it taken care of. Now, do you understand how that, what that would do in the heart of a, of a young person who's sitting there trying to learn how to trust God and believe God and that God's going to be faithful to what His Word is? From that point on, whatever God would tell us to do, man, we just... Okay, Lord, okay, Lord, we're going we're gonna to do that, you know, and, and, and watch what you do because he's always faithful to his word. And, and the funny thing is, some of us have less problem trusting Jesus with the salvation of our soul than we do with our checkbook, don't we? Some of us feel like, well, he can take care of my, me eternally, but I'm not sure if he can make the ends meet. Oh, yes, he can. He always makes the ends meet. He's always, if you trust his word and what his word says, he'll bless you in that. What a great experience that was. What a great journey that was. And what an encouragement it was to me. I'm sure all of you have those stories in your life. Okay, look what it says here about the evidence of things not seen. The unseen world is unreal to us until we have evidence of it. It is just, it's just unbelievable to us that can actually be out there. So what faith is, faith is the evidence that brings about the conviction, okay? Faith is the evidence that brings about a conviction that things are real, that that there's something out there beyond who I am and what I understand. Conviction, we have the conviction in regard to the unseen things that they exist in spite of our not seeing them with our physical eyes. And what, what is the evidence and what is that conviction that that actually is there, that the unseen world is real? It's faith. Faith opens up your eyes to see things that other people can't see. That, that's why, have you ever had somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with? You're trying to help them to see about eternal things and Jesus died on the cross and all about the spiritual world and they have this blank look on their face? I mean, it's like they, they just can't grasp what you're saying. It's because they can't grasp what you're saying. Because it's not real to them. And the reason it's not real to them is because they have not exercised their faith in God. And whenever they exercise their faith in God, all of a sudden a whole new world opens up to them. They begin to see and sense things they had never thought of before. They, they begin to realize that there's a world out there, a parallel world to what we're living in, that is a more real world than what we live in. See, what, what, one of our hindrances is, is, is our senses. We, we think what is real is what I see, what I hear, what I feel, what I taste, what I smell, what I touch. That's what we think is real. But the reality of it is, is that the unseen spiritual world is more real is more real than what we see. And you say, well, how, how could the unseen world be more real than what you see? Because the unseen world is going to exist longer than the seen world. And the way that the, uh, the seen world became into existence, as you'll see, is because the unseen world brought it into existence. But for a person who doesn't know that, a person who doesn't have faith, 
That, that's, that's hard for them to grasp. It's hard for them to understand. And, and what our prayer needs to be towards those people who cannot see that and therefore don't respond to the gospel, we need to pray this prayer, Lord, open their eyes that they might see. Lord, open their eyes, the eyes of faith that they can see and they can begin to understand the things that you have, the things that are real, okay? So, it says that they Some way. Not seen, it's invisible, not seen with physical eyes. Where are these things, these unseen things? They are in the spiritual world. Now, you say, well, how do you know there's a spiritual world? Glad you asked the question. In John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, verse 24, it's whenever Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. Remember that? And he says this, God is, what did he say? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, if God is spirit, spirits are unseen. Okay, they don't, they don't have a physical manifestation. So the God we serve is a God who is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical manifestation other than the fact that in Jesus, he came incarnate. That's why Jesus said, whenever he walked here, he told Nicodemus, and he basically, John said it, he said, the only way that you understand who God is, who's spiritual, and spirit is through me. We comprehend the spiritual God through Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, look at it in the life of Jesus. And God so wanted us to understand what He's like, He sent His Son to reveal to us what God is like. But God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, this little statement, the spiritual world becomes a reality through eyes of faith. Through eyes of faith. Now, if you've been saved for a while... You just know that God's real. You sense God. You see God work. You hear God and watch God answer prayers. God is real to you. And the reason He's real to you is because you have eyes of faith. For that person who does not have a relationship with God and do not have eyes of faith, that is hard for them to grasp. Faith is seen... With the eyes of faith, the spiritual world. Now, listen to these verses to ponder. 11, 6, it says, For he who comes to God must believe that he, God, who is the invisible God, is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What is faith? Believing that God, that you cannot see, he's the invisible God, you believe that He is. And because you believe that He is, you also believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. So, why do you pray? Who do you pray to? You pray to God who is real, even though you cannot see Him with your eyes. You pray to God even though He's invisible, knowing that when I pray to Him and I talk with Him, that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That's the eyes of faith. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 
Paul said this, While we look not at things which are seen, but rather we are looking at things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's answer the question, how do you, Paul, how do you stay up all the time? How do you stay consistent? And he says, man, I don't let those momentary light afflictions bother me. Paul's momentary light afflictions pretty tough, right? I don't let those momentary light afflictions bother me. Why? Because we don't look at the things of this world. We look at the unseen world. The unseen world where there's eternal things that are happening. Now, we don't focus in the things of this world. We look to the unseen world. Well, what, what do you do? Do you, look, you spend more time looking at the seen world or the unseen world? Eyes of faith, look at the unseen world. Look at the next verse. In Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was made out of things which are visible. Was not made out of things which are visible. What, is, what are they made of? Things that are seen are not made out of things visible. They're made where? From the invisible world. From the invisible world. So it says this. This world that you're attached to and this world you live in, this world you have, it's right here. It says it was prepared by the invisible world in the word of God. Now that's, that, that settles Genesis for you guys, I'll tell you. If you, wanna, if you, wanna, you don't have to debate Genesis 1 through 3. You don't have to debate that with anybody. Because right there, the writer of Hebrews tells you this, that what is seen, the visible world, was created by what? Read it. Was created by what? The word of God. The Word of God. The, the, the world that you see here was not created by the visible world. In other words, it wasn't a little molecule that expanded or blew up and came and, you know, and the Big Bang. and all. Those are things that are seen. But rather, the things that are seen were created by the unseen things of the world. The Word of God. You got that in your heart? Got that in your mind? And, and once again, which one's going to last longer? The invisible world is going to be a lot longer than the visible world. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. What was the unique thing about Moses' life? Moses was living, looking at the unseen world. Looking at him who's unseen, not, not at the things that are seen. He had a chance. He could look at Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house, or he could look at the God of the Hebrews. And which one's he going to look at? Which one's he going to hold to? He chooses not to hold to the Pharaoh's house. He chooses to follow the God, the unseen God, the God of the Hebrews. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations here that help you see this seen and unseen world. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. Here's the setting. The setting is that the king of Syria was warring against Israel. And when he made war plans, the prophet Elijah would warn the king of Israel. 
And the king of Israel would communicate the plans to his army and they would avoid the attacks. I mean, every time the king of Syria would go make a plan and say, now this is how we're going to attack them. Then Elijah, who's the prophet of God, God would tell him, He'd go tell the king of Israel, the king of Israel would tell his army, and, and, and the Syrian king's plans never worked out because uh, Elisha was telling about it. Well, the king of Syria got so angry, he said, there's somebody who is a traitor. There's somebody who's a spy among us. Every time we make a plan, they go tell the king of Israel, and he, he keeps from being trapped in our trap. And one of the servants said, no, that's not the way it happens. <laughs> that's not what takes place. He said, there's a prophet over there. He's a prophet of God. And says, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. Whatever your plans you're making, God tells that prophet of God. And that prophet goes, tells the king, and the king keeps... It's Elijah, who's the man of God, who knows things that God reveals to him, who keeps your plan from working. Well, when the king of Syria found that out, he said, uh, I'm going to get him. (laughs) I'm going to take care... Of Elijah, So he sends his army over to the city of Dothan. That's not Dothan, Alabama. But that's the city of Dothan. He, he sends it, the army there to, to surround the prophet and to be able to bring the prophet in and probably execute him. So he sends him over there and they surround the, the camp and surround Dothan. And then here's the servant's reaction, the servant of Elijah. When the servant of Elijah saw the army circling the city... He became afraid and cried out to Elijah, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now to fill in the blanks, it says the reaction when we see with our physical eyes like this servant is fear and anxiety. Amen? (laughs) You ever seen circumstances in your life and you've seen it from the physical world and you've got fear and anxiety? I can understand why that servant would be fearful. Could you? He gets up. And here's this whole Syrian army surrounding Dothan, and he knows why they're there. And he's out making coffee before Elijah gets up, and he cries out and says, Oh, alas, my master, we are in trouble. We're in trouble because the Syrian army is here, and they're here for us. He is anxious and fearful. It always happens whenever you're looking with your eyes of your physical being. Well, look what happens. Listen to Elijah's response. Do not fear, he communicates to his servant, that there is no need for fear. He proceeded to tell him why. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Hear what he said? Hey, don't worry, servant. It don't matter what their army is. We got got more with us than than they have with them. Obviously, Elisha was seeing something different from what the servant was seeing. All the servant saw was the Syrian army. Elijah was seeing something unseen to the servant. I can imagine that servant. I, I, could be a good, I could play that servant very well. When Elijah said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I mean, they're more with us than with them. I would have said, well, I, I see the ones with them, but I don't see the ones with us. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to say that? I, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't know why you're so at peace about that. I don't see much between us and them. Well, obviously, Elijah sees something. Service anxious. Look at Elijah's prayer. This is the prayer. Listen. O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. The prayer reveals that there was more to see than what the servant was seeing. There is a whole different dimension of sight. It is seeing the unseen. 
The different dimension is seeing the unseen. God answers that prayer. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What did Elisha see? The horses and chariots of God. The invisible horses and chariots of fire. He could see them, and the servant could not until he was prayed for, and his eyes were opened. The servant understood that the reason Elijah had no fear is because Elijah saw those chariots and horses of fire. This army is the army of the Lord. Which would you rather have? Regular horses and chariots or horses and chariots of fire? Give me the horses and chariots of fire, amen? (laughs) I'll take those. The eye that can see the unseen is of utmost importance. What eye sees the unseen? The eye of faith. The eye of faith. That is why faith is the conviction of things not seen. How many of you ever heard of Billy Graham? Man, I've got a, I've got a knowledgeable group here. I figured y'all didn't know him. He's kind of unknown. Billy Graham. If you, I don't know if you ever read his, uh, his little book on angels. Angels, God's secret service. I want to read you just one account. Of, of the unseen world, all right, in this little book. Something very similar to what this is. The Reverend John G. Patton, a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands, tells a thrilling story involving protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded his missionary headquarters one night, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. John Patton and his wife prayed all during the terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see the attackers unaccountably leave. They thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men who were with you there? The missionary answered, There were no men, just my wife and I. The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect it's real. Amen? <laughs> God, God let the servants see the chariots of fire, and on that given night, he let natives see a bunch of fiery soldiers who had their swords drawn to protect those missionaries. Time and time again. Why? Because there's a spiritual world that's more real than the physical world. Look at this New Testament example, and we'll be finished. The experience of Stephen. Most of you have read this in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was arrested, brought before a council. He gives a great defense of the faith. He takes all of Israel's history and explains it in terms of what God's plan was for salvation. And he was brought to that trial, and and he just does a super job. But but when he closes out, he he closes out uh, in in a pretty 
a strong invitation. This is what he says. He says, he declared that those that he'd been talking to were stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, I would say that's pretty tough preaching. What do you think? Well you, th- well, you know what their response was? They got mad, right? They got mad and they're going to take it out on him. This confrontation made the council so angry that they literally began gnashing their teeth at Stephen and planning to kill him. In the midst of this riot, where his life is being threatened, Stephen sees something. Listen to what it says he sees. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. His focus is turned from the council to heaven where he sees the unseen. How does he see the unseen? How does he see the spiritual? With the eyes of faith. With the eyes of faith. What's the result? Stephen is taken out and stoned by the council as a blasphemer. But that seems to be anticlimactic in that his focus is in heaven, the unseen world. Stephen says two significant things while being stoned. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Just like his Lord, he also said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How could he face death in such a way because he was seeing the unseen, the eyes of faith? Faith is the evidence, the conviction of things not seen. Now somebody might read that story. Well, well, that don't seem like the victory to me. (laughs) I mean, if there had been a victory, then, then those same guards with all that... Garb and swords would have come and saved him. Hold on a second. God doesn't always send his angels to save us from death. Because I, I want to remind you all again, there's, there's only two ways to get to heaven. One is by... By what? Uh, let me say, let's all say it together. By death. Okay. One, one way you get to heaven is by... Death. Let's say that again, by death. The other is when the rapture happens. Now, I know we're all praying for the rapture to happen because we don't want to face death. But the reality of it is we're going to more than likely face death unless Jesus, if Jesus tarries, we're going to do that. But that is not a defeat. That's not a defeat. That's God's greatest gift to his children. It's God's greatest gift to his children that he would bring us home. The reason that Stephen did not or did not survive and was not rescued is because God always has bigger plans. Whenever something brings about the death of somebody and we were hoping that they would live, there's always a bigger plan. We don't know that plan this side of glory. Most of us never know that plan this side of glory. When we get to glory, we'll see how it all fits together. See how all those things, all those pieces fit together. But you know, God did give us a little bit of a hint here in the book of Acts. Because you remember who the young man was who stood beside Stephen as they dropped their cloaks beside him? His name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. And he eventually becomes Paul the Apostle. 
And go and read in the book of Acts, he tells you the testimony. You know one of the significant things that brought him to faith in Christ? It's when he stood watching Stephen die for his faith. When he talks about how he came to know Christ, he talks about standing and watching Stephen die for his faith. And right there, oh, I know he was saved on Damascus Road, but right there, God began to work on that man's heart, work on that man's heart. So through Stephen's death, Paul becomes, Saul becomes Paul, and all those people who have been won to Christ, and all the people throughout the ages who've read the epistles that Paul wrote and the testimony of Paul, and all those people have been impacted, is all attributed to Stephen's account. Because Stephen gave his life. Just like the Lord. Lord, don't hold this to their account. How can he do that? How can he do that? Because he sees with the eyes of faith. Sees with the eyes of faith. I don't know if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You ought to read that sometimes. It's not easy reading. (laughs) But it will help you understand the price that's been paid throughout the days of people for their faith. But it also will encourage you. Because all in that book you'll find out that people who had to give their life for the cause of Christ Many times they were blessed in so many ways because they had a recognized presence of God and God shows up for them in a unique way to give them a peace and a joy in that journey. And just remember, when they breathe their last here, they breathe their first there. Amen? So focus on that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Next week, We'll be focusing on the promises of God. You don't really need to miss that one. Because the promises of God are so pivotal in regard to this matter of faith. What are the promises of God? And how do you use the promise of God? How do you find those things? So I hope you'll be here and be a part of that. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.